Hi, this is Danielle from the Jaws Curator, and this is episode 132 of Art for Your Ear. This episode is supported by Saatchi Art, the world's largest curated online gallery offering original art by independent artists from around the world. Visit them and their fabulous roster of artists at saatchiart.com. All right, today I am bringing back a guest I had on about 70 episodes ago. Terrence Payne is an artist from Minneapolis who's mostly known for his large-scale, very intricate oil pastel drawings. Also, he is hilarious. Last time he was on, we talked all about his work and how he accidentally insulted both Prince and Robert Plant to their faces. (laughs) Well, I just saw on Instagram that he's put his oil pastels down for just a minute to make, wait for it, quilts. Yes, quilts. I've written about plenty of women who blur the line between fine art and craft with their material choices, but I honestly can't think of one male artist. I'm sure there are some, but offhand, none jump to mind. Obviously, I needed to have Terrence back on the podcast to talk about this. Also, when I was in Wisconsin last fall, I had dinner with him and his amazing wife, Carolyn, and I laughed so hard through the entire meal that I could barely breathe. Terry could totally have his own podcast. The theme, however, would not be art. (laughs) It would be completely random stories that are cataloged somewhere in his brain. So today, instead of the not-so-speedy speed round, I'm going to give him random topics to see if there's a story in his vault, and I will bet $1 million that he could tell stories about any of them. Oh, and if you happen to have kids in the room, I'm just going to let you know ahead of time that there is some swearing in this episode, especially when we get to the stories at the end. I was going to bleep them out, but that would have taken way too long. (laughs) And let's face it, I didn't want to censor the hilarious storyteller that is Terrence Payne. Okay, ready? Calling Minneapolis. I'm going to just do a quick recap of our last episode. Sure. So that people can remember. And then um, again, we're gonna, I'll, we'll do all our quilt talking and stuff. And yeah. then I am, I'm forcing you to uh, jump in to this podcast I want you to do. Shit Terry Says. All right. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> I, I believe in you. I think you can do it. I have, look, can you hear it? Yeah. I, I ripped I, up little, I have little slices of paper with random things on it. And I'm going to just say one and then you're going to think of, you will have a story. I fully believe that you will have a story. Hopefully there'll be appropriate stories. We can bleep. Care. We okay. can bleep. Yeah. Yeah, okay. go for it. It's so funny. Okay, so. Um, I'm just going to take a little pause and say hi, and then you can say hi, and then we'll just go for it. Got it. Okay, here we go. Okay. Hey, Terrence. Hi, Danielle. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Fourth time well. lucky on good old Skype. Yeah. We'll both sit very quietly and calmly, and hopefully it won't cut out on us. Right? Just sitting up straight with good posture. Exactly. Oh, I'm not. Okay, there. Now I am. Um, okay, so you were on the podcast about 70 episodes ago. Uh-huh. Isn't that crazy? Doesn't seem like That's... it was that long ago, but it was 70-ish episodes ago. Like almost a couple years. Yeah, that's really weird. So I re-listened to it this morning, and I was laughing my head off. And uh, the reason I wanted you back on was twofold. First of all, Mm -hmm. all your new work, quilts for crying out loud. So we have to talk all about that. But also, (laughs) when I was in Wisconsin last fall, I had dinner with you and your lovely wife, Carolyn. Mm. And I... I don't know if I t- talked to you guys after, but when I went back to the little the apartment, I was saying my abs and my cheeks hurt so much from laughing that I was f- at you that I was like, oh my god, I have to have him back on the podcast. Wisconsin's a state of hilarity. Funny <laughs> things happen there. Is that was was that the magic? Sure, I don't know. Yeah, but... had we crossed over ten minutes into mini uh, into Minnesota? No. Yeah, no, it would have been a whole different story. <laughs> It was so good because I was so, or maybe it was also because I was so tired. I'd just done that big talk and I was so happy that it was over. And I was, yeah. And I just got to sit there and eat a burger and fries and listen to you talk about all sorts of weird stuff. So, what? Hanging out. It's what we call just hanging out in Wisconsin. I loved it. I loved it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, So, okay, here's, here's what I got from the recap. So, if, I mean, I'm sure people heard your episode, but again, it was uh-huh. 70 episodes again. So, um, okay, here's here's my Cole's notes on what, oh, that's Canadian, Cole's notes. But here's the, here's the overview. You moved around a lot as a kid. 
you drew Jesus for the nuns at your uh-huh. Catholic school so that, the, and then you could get out of class and you would go draw the Jesus for them. You have two brothers. You're the middle one. Yeah. You're kind of Irish triplets. Yes. Yep. Uh, you went to graphic design for one year, but it wasn't your jam. Switched to fine no. art. Yeah. Uh, you were doing painting. Took too long to dry. Switched to oil pastels. That sounds about right. Okay. Then um, you offended Prince. I did. He called you a bitch. Then yeah. um, you told Robert Plant, well, you didn't realize it was Robert Plant, that you were going to shove a tray up his ass when he was in your way at um, the bar where you are working. To be fair, he's probably not the only person I've said that to. So. <laughs> but he was one of them. But you he fixed just happened that. happened to be the only lead singer Led Zeppelin that I said that to. <laughs> I still feel bad. Well, but then, but then, according to the previous episode, um, he smoked, and so he bummed a cigarette, and then you guys bonded, and everything was okay. Yeah, it was all good. Okay. Uh, so then we were talking about your actual work. <laughs> We did, we did touch on that. So yeah. we're talking about archetypes instead of portraits, but then you brought in a generic fee, uh, figure, uh, and very often the, their costumes would work in the archetypes, and then there was patterns that kind of blended them all together, um, and then we touched on the fact that you have rheumatoid arthritis, Yeah. and you were diagnosed 12-ish years ago, but the silver yeah, lining was that it slowed you down and made you um, not make everything that you thought of you actually had to plan and think and whatever and so that was the silver lining yes it forced me to edit my my brain yeah so there you go that is episode 70 something in a nutshell Uh uh-huh good yeah that sounds good okay great great. thank you um and i laughed hysterically all the way through um do you remember talking about Cabbage Patch Kids? How you used to draw Cabbage Patch Kids for the yeah? I actually stuff? listened to it too because I was like, I don't really repeat the same stories, and it'll just sound like a broken record. And <laughs> I had funny. no idea. I said things like that, stuff like that, and things as often as I do. <laughs> so I'm really gonna make an effort, and you know, you know, <laughs> anyone can stand to listen to me. Stuff like that was one of the things I didn't even. Notice. I don't know. And when you hear yourself talk, you're oh, just I know. such an idiot. Well, my last episode was a live one I did with um, Susanna Montague when I was in Victoria. And I said crazy, I'm going to say 500 times. Like, I, I said crazy so many times that when I re-listened to it after, uh, when I was editing it, I was like, oh my God, this could be a drinking game. Right? Like, yeah, like take a shot every time I say crazy and you will be in trouble because I said it so it was really embarrassing. So I won't say crazy, you don't say Stuff like that. I'll make an effort. Okay, me too. <laughs> I can't promise anything. I don't know what comes out of my mouth. <laughs> I don't either. Okay, well, let's... Now that the recap is complete. Yes. So, um, I don't know. I guess I was on Instagram, and uh, up comes a, uh, a post from Terrence Payne Art, and it was a quilt. And I was like, What? I thought maybe somebody saw your work and did an homage to you and did like a quilt ver it was the star one that not the one that Dottie is lying on, your little doggy, yeah. but the the one that looks like one of your drawings. Mm-hmm. And I thought somebody else made you made that. I did make that. So and what is others. going on? Like wh- okay. I what was the first quilt? When did this happen and why? Um, well I've been this is something that I've been I'm always and it's like, where to start this? <laughs> so I've been thinking about, so the last time I talked to you, I was working on a show that was about sort of this dystopian themes and things like that. And then, you know, our president became an asshole. <laughs> and then the was show. Was that before the election? It was right before. Oh, okay. Just like, ah, oh, such innocent times. <laughs> um, anyway, so, and. The work that I, some of the work that I'd done for that show and the next body of work that I created was kind of along a similar theme, but it was more thinking about the how one group of people can use um, prejudice and fear within another group of people to make them do the things they want to do. Hmm. Um, and a lot of the devices that I use, if that's the word, I, um, like the patterns and sort of the flatness and things. Oh, I just did it. That um, <laughs> You that already said things like that a minute ago, too. Yeah, I was like, 
you know, these would look really cool um, in textile. And I started to think about what some of my references might have been that I was picking up on. Because, you know, I'm always just like when I'm working, I'm just working. I'm throwing things down on paper and I figure out what's going on later. And um, I was like noticing like they were reminding me a lot of kind of like pillows and wall hangings and things like that that my grandmothers would have had in their homes. Mm. Um, just a real sort of traditional kind of American craft sort of thing. And I initially had been thinking about doing some sort of clothing, but I was like, man, then you have to do like different sizes and you got to carry all this inventory. Um, and I have always kind of been into quilts and I was like, you know, this seems like a really good, um, way to sort of do what I was continue on what I have been doing but also to go back and bring in some of that narrative quality that I used to use in my work a long time ago that I kind of backed away from because mm. it wasn't making a lot of sense and I was like because quilts you know it's about community it's about um, telling stories and you know passing things down over generations I'm mm-hmm. like um, and then of course you know mine are all freaking satanic and perverted but you know <laughs> sort of yeah, same, same, you know. Well, yeah, because, like, okay, so i got to back it up again. And the last um, exhibition that I had um, was called Family Frems, and Frems was the F-R-E-M-D-S, like the German word for other or alien. Mm. And um, so I was trying to think about a way to talk about um, religion that wasn't going to offend people. And I decided that if I talked about Satanism, then nobody could be offended. But I just used that as substitution for Christianity. <laughs> and eventually, if people wanted to get it, they could get it. And, and it was, like, so much fun. So that's where the pentagram quilt came from. So I was like, well, if I can do a rainbow pentagram quilt, then I should be able to do pretty much anything that I'm thinking about. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's, like, totally logical. Was that the first one you did? Yeah, that was the first one I did, and um, it's been a lot of fun, and I've only been working on them for a couple months. Well, that's what I thought. Okay, so this is my question. Like, did you know how to make quilts before this? Well, see, now we got to go back further. So, I know. Um, I've always had an interest in seeing how I could use um, my artwork in different disciplines to sort of like get it into people's homes in more of a subversive way. And this all goes back to 2008. Um, (laughs) Another artist that I really like, Amy Rice, who's from Minnesota Mm -hmm. uh, and what used to be a part of my gallery. And we had always wanted to show together, but never had the opportunity. Um, And then we got together and like, well, let's do something instead of talking about it. But we decided we didn't want to do a white box gallery show. And she uses a lot of pattern as well in her work. She does a lot of spray painting and stencil and printmaking and things, and it's really cool. And I was like, well, I do too. Let's think about wouldn't it be cool if we, like, got a house and then we made all the furnishings for the home and had it relate back to, you know, our two-dimensional artwork that people are used to seeing. So I wow, thought, so cool. Yeah, I talked to somebody at Sotheby's Real Estate. I'm like, hey, can you find us a cool house that we can use? And instead of having like an art show, we had an open house <laughs> for a weekend. And then it's like all the neighbors coming in, like being all weird. Like, what the hell is going on here? Um, anyway, we Property them. values dropping. Yeah. And <laughs> so I was um, screen printing fabrics and having fabrics made and upholstering furniture. And I learned how to sew from my friend Patrick, who was helping me. Um, upholster the furniture and stuff Um, and it ended up being a lot of fun um, making pillows and like chandeliers and ottomans and couches and stuff like that that all had patterns and imagery that related back to the artwork that I had in the house too and it ended up being a lot more work than obviously we thought it would (laughs) so we were only able to do the public spaces in the house Um, but then that led to uh, like a year after that, somebody from Target contacted me and asked me, they had a project at that time called Design United where they'd ask artists to come in and, and um, do twists on sort of their uh, design aesthetic. Mm. And 
they really liked a lot of the patterns. Somebody had seen the show, I guess, or some writing about it or something. And um, they really liked the patterns that I was doing. And so they asked me to do some reimagining of their logo using it in my patterns. So I did a bunch of my patterns using the Target logo. And they put, <clears throat> excuse me, they put them up in their main headquarters downtown in Minneapolis and for like a couple months or something. And it looked really cool. It was a lot of fun. And uh, somebody from a company called Higgin West that makes uh, custom wallpaper. You yes, that? I love them. I saw that. And then they asked me to design some wallpaper for them. And God, this is really long. I, have, I have a chunk of that wallpaper. They sent me a little sample. I have it framed in my studio. Yeah, and you know the funnest thing about that is the knots one yeah. was a pattern that I did that was about S and M. So and now it's like in people's phones. <laughs> That's the one I have. Oh boy. <laughs> anyway, um, but it was really cool. Something that I learned throughout this whole, you know, trying all these different things was um, by sort of taking uh, risks with new medium and like disciplines where maybe I didn't belong. Um, was I was bringing in this audience to my art, my studio practice that might not otherwise have found me that already had a certain sort of aesthetic attitude that translated really nicely into my fine art. Um, so I've always kind of thought like any time I have an opportunity to try something different or new, I should do it. Whether or not it works out, at least I'll learn something new about my process and what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been having this idea about these quilts or textiles really for a while. And um, it just seemed I, after my exhibition last fall at Rose Lux Gallery, and I really started, couldn't shake the idea, you know, and I was like, well, I guess I just need to do this. And I had some missions and things to get through. And we've been um, talking about ways that we could expand our audience at my gallery, Rose Lux. Um, and one of the things that we decided to do is expand our programming by adding a retail area to the front of the gallery that was going to feature different artists every month doing small, accessible, and affordable artwork so we could bring in an audience that maybe we've lost because our artists, their work's too expensive for um, a younger a younger group to make a part of their lives. So, That's cool. Yeah. So we're redoing the space, and I was like, well, I'll do the first one. And I was like, it should be something kind of unique or different. And I was like, well, let's do these quilts and see how they work out. If they don't work out, I'll make an artist book. You know, that's <laughs> what to do. And they've been going okay so far, and I've been having a lot of fun. <laughs> Sorry, and so do, do you ha- did you have to, like, Google how to make a quilt? Um, or did you just I, wing it? I just kind of winged it. I didn't want to, like... I didn't want too many ideas in my head of the way things should be done. Right. Because I thought that might be kind of of limiting. Um, And, like, I, yeah, I was just like, well, what do you put in the middle of it? It was more like looking at Amazon. Like, what's the shit you put in quilts? And, like, how much does that cost? (laughs) You know? Well, that's what I was wondering, if you knew how to do that. No, not really. I just figured it's a little trial and error. There's an artist that I... um, follow on Instagram named Ben Venom that makes like they're almost like they're really cool um almost like gang patches or motorcycle clubs it's like referencing that kind of like heavy metal vibe in his quilts and things okay and so I was seeing some of kind of the techniques that that he was using I'm like okay maybe I can try those or um, (laughs) so do you have a sewing machine like did you have or have you had to like buy stuff to do this just the fair I have a sewing machine that from the from the last show because right. I've done other stuff too. Like, um, I did a an exhibition with Nick Howard, who's another artist that we used to have at the gallery, and we invited um, a choreographer that I've worked with in the past, Chris Schlichting, to come in and um, choreograph some work in response to our show, and we made some um, uh, what is some like banners and things that oh, hung. Okay. That we screen printed, and then we did some costumes for the performers and stuff. And wow! That way, so you know, it's good to have that that home act in your back pocket. 
Well, Charlie, my son is just starting home ec. He's, he was telling me on the way to school this morning, He's quite, I'm quite good at sewing, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. Maybe he's got, you know, an art career ahead of him. Well, it's just so cool because, well, I mean, I didn't really realize all of that other stuff. Um, I, do you still have pictures from that show that you guys did in the house? Yeah, I can send you some links to that. Yeah, one. that sounds so That's cool. Awesome. And who knew? So do you hem pants at home? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> can Carolyn give you like a, a skirt to uh, hem? No? Hmm. Oh, my God. Last summer we decided. So we've had our home for like 14 years now, I think. And we buy our, we just buy our, we come home, we hang it after the show. Like, and we've been doing that had been doing that for 13 years and our house was just like looking really scary. So last summer we decided to take down all the art and repaint the house and put up so it looked made sense instead of like looked like drunk people hanging art. Um, so I Carolyn was like, I want to learn how to sew. Will you teach me to make some curtains and five minutes into it. She's like, why do I need to know how to do this when you need already know? Exactly. Like, like okay, there you go. I'll make the curtains and <laughs> drink the beers. Did you make the curtains? Well, yeah, of course. I, I love did. it. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. Well, okay, now it's all starting to make sense because yeah. from my, you know, Instagram perspective, it's like oil pastel, oil pastel, awesome quilt. It's like how how do you even know how to do this? Well, how many have you done now? I've um, I'm hoping to have a dozen for the launch of the new retail area at the gallery. And I've got seven done at the moment. So I've really kind of got the hammer down. And when is that beginning of May that you're opening that? Um, May 18th is the launch of that. All right. Okay. Well, which coincides, there's a big, um, the, the neighborhood that we're in, there's a lot of artist studios and things. So there's a big art crawl that happens every spring called art world. So we're, doing it then because okay. the, the chance to reach the biggest amount of people I suppose so but, do you are they taking you so you got five more to go <laughs> are they are they faster than your drawings or does it take you the same amount of time like they're getting faster um what the first couple took a real long time. yeah <laughs> I was really handy with the seam ripper because yeah. uh I was making a lot more mistakes um but I'm you know, and it was a lot of playing around, you know, because it was something new. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just going to play around with this and see what comes out of it. Try some different things and see what seems to work out best. And as I was like working on them, I was coming up with different ideas. Like I, the first one I started with, like a literal translation of a drawing to fabric. You know, I was like, well, this is pretty geometric drawing that I did. Let's just make this a quilt yeah. and see how it goes. And I started to realize that there were some limitations on some of the things that I might do in a drawing, but there are also some cool things that I could do texturally um, that I wouldn't be able to do and with an oil pastel. So mm. it's been a lot of fun. And um, I like the fire uh, ones. Yeah, and that's just because I was like, it was going to be a pattern with different color fire, little abstracted campfires. And I was like, you know, it looks really cool, just one, and I can work in some embroidery and like, take this Bruce Springsteen lyric to make it creepy because that's that creepy song about the stalker and then you know <laughs> and it, um. it looks cool and it's just like been a lot of fun you know because uh normally I for a drawing I would be a lot more critical of myself because I have a 25-year history of making these things where this is new so pretty much anything I do is okay and I'm still learning, so I can yeah. just buy anything. And, you know, uh, I just got all, honestly, I've got more designs right now than I have time to make the quilt. So I'll probably keep. That's so exciting. That's so fun when you hit a moment like that. Yeah, for sure. And I'm going back to um, some designs that I had done for screen prints and taking ideas that I never really followed through on there and bringing those into this because it's another sort of flat utilitarian sort of medium, you know? Yeah. And I just really like the idea that also, you know, this isn't art that needs to hang on a wall. This is something that somebody can use and 
in their lives. It's got a practical purpose, which even if it is just like keeping your dog warm, I don't care. <laughs> it's nice to be needed. Uh, that it's so it's so inspiring. It's just so cool. And um, are, do you even have time? Are you even drawing right now? Then or no? No, I'm not. I'm just doing this. Um, <laughs> You're all. I've got, I've got to the end of the month to get the quilts done. Then we've got to do the build at the gallery for a couple weeks. Then we have the launch, and then I've got a stack of commissions that I need to get through, and then I can start um, working on new artwork for my sh next show, which is in February of 2019. Okay. Are the commissions yeah. drawings or quilts? Drawings. So oh. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I think you're going to start getting some quilt commissions pretty soon. Yeah, especially, well, the first, the one that you saw on Instagram with my dog, Dottie, was actually, was supposed to be a bigger quilt, but I ended up cutting down because I messed up a bunch of it. I'm like, I'll just make a little dog quilt for Dottie. <laughs> and she loves it. And I'm like, I think it's hilarious because she just like, will throw our other dog, Frank, off. And she's like, no, that's my pentagram to worship the Dark Lord. <laughs> and she's so cute. You can tell she's worshiping the Dark Lord for sure. She is. She's yeah. a killer. She's been doing, she killed a rabbit last week. She's been doing blood sacrifice. She's no. really into it. She's committed. You have rabbits in your that. backyard, right? Like, does she just take them out back there? Yeah, she doesn't care. Dottie. She's, she's the best. Okay, here's anyway. the question. Did she do, did she attack the rabbit before or after she got her pentagram quilt? She's always been a killer. Oh, okay. I thought yeah. maybe the quilt was influencing her somehow. No, she's no. she was abandoned as a young young yeah, girl. Yeah, I remember when you guys got her. Yeah, her owner had Alzheimer's and um, drove her out to the woods, <gasps> set her free. So she had to like survive up in northern Minnesota on her own. She was like Johnny Rambo <gasps> a little bit. Oh, Dottie, I didn't know that. Yeah. How did you yeah. guys get her? Well, the woman's uh, home care nurse noticed the dogs weren't around and found out what had happened and went out and found them a few days later. So, <gasps> Oh, my yeah. God. That's why Dottie gets all the cute sweaters, because she has to compensate for her time yeah, in the wilderness. That's why we just let her do whatever she wants. Yeah, well, she she's, wants. Learned to, she's, she's learned to live in the wilderness. Of course she's going to take out the occasional rabbit. She's a good dog. Yeah. Um, oh, Anyway, sorry. Yeah, yeah, anyway, I digress. See, this is why you need your own podcast. Um, okay, so what I think is so cool, well, you actually just mentioned another guy that makes quilts, but mm. I've never heard of male artists making quilts. Have you, Ben? Um, you know, other than that, I, I don't know, but honestly, I haven't really made an effort to find any or look yeah. for stuff, you know, my quilting fascination started like with an episode of Antiques Roadshow when they're in Hawaii and they started showing these Hawaiian quilts, which were so different than um, what you would think of as sort of like the Northeastern New England style quilting that, you know, of the squares and triangles, right. and, like, crazy quilts and stuff like that, which I was always like, kind of like, whatever. But those were just like really graphic and very um, almost minimal in the use of their color and things mm. that, that I really responded to. And I really got into those and started researching those a lot. But yeah, uh -huh. I know what you mean. Like sometimes when you get um, super excited about something, it's like you don't, I personally don't really want to see what other people are doing because I'm afraid yeah. of it influence or like, you know, messing with my head a little bit. Yeah, totally. And, you know, I I've only started to think about like the gender thing when I went to the fabric store because I just had started off just getting, you know, I know what my palette is for my drawings. So I just went and bought a ton of fabric and the lady at the fabric store was like cutting my fabric and I was standing there and she just kept giving me the side eye. And finally she was like, so what's your project? And I was like, well, I'm doing some quilting. And she just kind of looked at me funny and kept cutting. And then she's like, what kind of quilts are you making? And by this time I was like, you know, go judge yourself. And I was like, oh, they're satanic. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. And now every time I go in there, that lady like points to me. She's like, that's the guy. It's <laughs> like, whatever. But I was just like, I suppose this is, I don't know. But like, why wouldn't just anybody 
do this because it's cool. Like, I know. You can do it anything is, with it. Yeah, it and is really weird that it is, a, like, you know, I guess historically it was a, a woman's craft. But what I find so cool is that, A, that you're doing it, and B, that, you know, there's so many women I've written about who do fine art but with craft, like, traditional materials, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. for women, I know it's almost instantly thrown into the craft camp. Yeah. Without even, like, looking at the context or looking at the subject matter, anything. It's like, oh, there's thread and fabric. It's, it's craft. And it's discounted almost. But I just think it's – I'm so curious what pe- – like, the reaction people are going to have to yours. Yeah, Just we'll because see. you're male. I, you know, and I've, I know what you're talking about. I've seen it, too, with artists that I've worked with at the gallery and seen sort of – um, the response that they've gotten to the work that they're doing just because they are women and just because the their inspiration source does come from a craft tradition doesn't I don't think you know that necessarily um, devalues what they're doing or the message that they're doing I I honestly think it's genius because anytime and this is a gripe of mine is the established sort of arts community like rewards an artist that makes it difficult for their audience to understand what they're doing and break down the mm-hmm. communication. And I think that artists should be rewarded, rewarded for making an effort to communicate with their audience and actually start a dialogue and engage. And when you use something like craft or design or typography, and I'm very conscious of this in my work of using sort of an illustrative style and think like in my two-dimensional drawings I'm constantly referencing the history of advertising and design and things like that because these are language visual languages that people are really comfortable and familiar with so you're starting on their safe area and especially when you're talking about um like kind of heady stuff like these quilts are still working on a very sort of um, themes of dystopia and disengagement and broken communities. Um, it's easier to have that conversation when everybody's comfortable and nobody feels threatened. And one of the ways that I think to do that is to start with something that is comforting and is not threatening, like a quilt. Mm-hmm. Or, you can you literally know. get comfortable with this art. Yeah, exactly. You can wrap and, it around you. And it's been really interesting um, just like I haven't gotten this into it with people that I've been talking about the quilts. Like I was telling people that I had this idea and they've been like, absolutely. Yes. You should try doing this and really encourage me. Um, you know, mainly like some of my regular collectors and things like that. Just like, yeah, that sounds totally badass. Go for it. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's nice. Cause you know, sometimes collectors don't love it when you, you know, turn a corner. Yeah, I don't like those collectors. I don't like, like those collectors either because it, it it literally makes no sense. It goes completely against who and what artists are. Like yeah. You can't just keep making the same thing forever. Like That's not what it's about. And I got to be honest, I, I really haven't encountered that from collectors as much as I have from uh, arts professionals, you know, mm. the beer cat, people that have run galleries and museums and things like that. They're like, you know... <sighs> tend to like with galleries that I used to show with when I was starting out and this is one of the reasons that I started my own gallery was they brought me in because of the work that I was doing at that time and that's what they wanted me to continue to do because they knew there was a market for that and they could make money off of that and I understand that it's a business and that's what they need to do um, to keep it going but I was just like you know I'm a young artist and I need to explore and do different things otherwise what's the point you yeah know? yeah totally so. um well you certainly are that's for sure well I, you, I'll have to keep an eye on what uh the reaction because I think it's going to be amazing you know actually when you said the thing about making when when the topic is sort of deep and heavy but then the delivery method is different there's an artist named um Natalie Baxter Mm-hmm. Um, she does, uh, soft, like stuffed guns. Yeah. Have you ever seen her work? I think I have. Um, I've written about her before. She's on the podcast and I actually yeah. put her in my new book about women artists. And in that book, she was, uh, the interview that I did with her for it, she said that, um, she was showing them somewhere, like somewhere in the South where it's sort of more of a, gun, you know, 
guns are, you know, part of life. And uh, she said it was so interesting because she was in the gallery and these two older ladies came in and um, they're laughing because, you know, they've got those guns have like pink tassels on them and they're made with faux fur and, you know, whatever. And she said the ladies were sort of laughing about it. But she said as they walked around the gallery, she said they got into this huge discussion over the NRA and um, Second Amendment and all this stuff. Uh-huh. And she said it didn't like and they, they had opposing views, but she's like it didn't turn into an argument because she said they were they were able to have this conversation in this really funny, goofy, comfortable art show. Yeah. So it's sort of, you know, it is, I love that you said that, that it, you know, instantly the medium that you choose and it it can really, you know, set a level playing field for the conversation to happen. Yeah. And I think that's great when, I mean, it's hard to do and you don't always know that it's going to work. You might have that intention. But I think even just making the effort is worthwhile yeah. because otherwise you're just um, surrendering to the status quo and the prejudice that's already out there, you know, yeah. like yeah. this is the way things will be forever. It's just like stupid. Yeah, that's exhausting. And that's not what artists are on the planet. You know, they're no. there to push things. And it, yeah, so I, I just think it's so great. When I saw that on Instagram, I was like, boop, boop, boop. Want to come back on the podcast? <laughs> because <laughs> I want to hear. Um, okay, so the next thing I wanted to ask you, so when I was in good old Wisconsin, um, yeah. Liz Wendland, who brought me there to, to be at um, UW, she actually, she teaches in uh, Minneapolis too, and she had mm-hmm. you come and talk to her class, right? Yeah. At she said it was hilarious. Apparently, the students loved you. Do you have, I know when you get on a roll, you have no, it's like you black out and you have no recollection of what you actually said. Do you remember what you told them? I, well, I know what I meant to tell them. Who knows what I told them? I probably went off on tangents and told them really inappropriate stories. Apparently, Uh, you did. And apparently, that's why I think you were their favorite speaker of the year. uh, Usually, when I, when I talk to students, um, when I'm invited, is I give them the option of, I'm like, do you want my talk where I talk about my studio practice and my art and why I make what I make? Or do you want my um, talk about the business side of art? That's usually what they go for. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because it's not very often you get to talk to somebody with experience, and especially when you're a student, you know, that'll tell you the truth yeah and you have a gallery like you kind of know both sides of it you know about being a working artist and about bringing other artists in to sell their work yeah exactly and I think it's really valuable information for them to have especially as undergraduates when they're deciding whether um, what to do with their careers and things yeah to go in eyes eyes wide open I don't know if I would have made the same decisions that I made if I knew um how difficult, you know, just being a studio artist was going to be. But I don't think I could have made any different decisions, you know, whatever. That's a dumb conversation. Um, <laughs> but So, yeah, so I think that's what I was telling them about was kind of how I learned uh, about the business side of art. And yeah. And do you bring in, like, as I know at Rosalux, um, well, I was lucky enough to be the uh, curator for your for your show that you did this year. Yes, you were. Thank you very much. That was so much fun. <laughs> it was a great show, too, and people loved it. I mean, that's always, that show that we do, The Open Door, is always, it's so great. On one hand, we get to see so many new artists, um, and also the reaction from our regular audience to the artists, and then the audience that those artists bring with them to get exposed to the gallery and what we're doing as a collective and how we're helping the arts community and all that garbage. Yeah, it's um, so good. And it's so good for those up and comers to, um, you know, even just like to apply. Because like, I know that Liz told all of her students at both schools, you know, yeah. here, go and apply to this because they need to practice applying to shows and, you know, potentially getting rejected. And then when you get yeah. accepted, what happens when you get accepted? Like to know kind of all the ins and outs, like, um, Liz was telling them, you know, that last the year before she had applied to 15 calls for art and had gotten mm-hmm. into two shows. Yeah. And they were like, what? That's horrifying. And she's like, no, it's pretty good. I got into two shows. But you have to put yourself out there. You have to apply to all this stuff. And if you get it rejected for the first one, you don't just not apply to anything else. Yeah. And 
honestly, the I remember when I was starting out and I was doing a lot of shows like that. And that's because I moved to Minneapolis. I didn't know anybody here, especially in the arts community. Um, and that was one of the ways that I started to like network and meet other artists was getting into group shows and things like that and be like, Hey, I like your piece. Your piece is pretty cool too. You know? <laughs> and then you just like maybe go have a beer and like talk about art a little bit. And, um, I think that's something that especially younger artists coming out of school don't really necessarily think about, but that's probably the most important thing because it's that community of other artists that, you're going to learn about opportunities that you're going to go to for advice on what you're working on. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just really invaluable. Um, and that's something that came out of when I started Rosalux as an artist collective. You know, we've had you know over 100 artists come through over 16 years. And just that network of artists that we've built up, um, just like it's, they challenge you, they inspire you, they comfort you. I mean, they're your family and you need to take advantage of that. Mm -hmm. I know. I think that's a bit of a shocker when you come out of art school sometimes, especially if you move away from that city. Yeah. Um, Suddenly it's like, you know, you were surrounded by artists every day for four years and now you're just not, and you're very often working a day job. And it's just like, it's almost like, you know, this like screeching halt of like, uh, uh, Oh no, like now what? And yeah. uh, if you're not applying to those things and going to, um, you know, even like going to Open Door and j- whether you're in it or not and, you know, seeing the diverse artwork and meeting all the different uh, people from different walks of life that go to shows like that, like that's the key, I think. Yeah, for sure. And, yeah. and uh, I mean, we're lucky here in Minneapolis. We've got such a great uh, community of artists and there's so much good artwork happening here. And mm-hmm. uh, I wish I could have come to that show. Well, come to the next one. Okay. You come whenever. We okay. don't care. <laughs> <laughs> well, now um, Liz has moved full-time um, to Augsburg. She got a, a 10-year track there. Cool. Starting in September. And so I went to um, UW River Falls with her. But um, so I just she just announced it on Instagram or something yesterday. And I was like, you should get the Jell's curator to come for a week and hang out in Minneapolis. She's like, it's number one on my to-do list. Yeah. I love coming out there. And so, yeah, I, I got to get out there this fall or winter or something. When is when is Open Door? December? It's always in December, yeah. Okay. Maybe I could coordinate it. That would be, although, I do I really want to fly in and out of Minneapolis in December? I don't know. <laughs> That's, summertime's good, too. Yeah. <laughs> I think when I came for Girl Crush, it was in June. That was lovely. Yeah, that's always the better time yeah. to show up. Okay. Well, we'll we'll see what we can do. Um, okay, so when we had our hilarious dinner in Wisconsin, you were telling all the funny stories. And so I I was laughing. Sorry, I said to Carolyn, like, how do you like is this your normal life? And she was like, Yes. And uh she's like, I just sit and listen to him tell stories and laugh. And I was like, Oh my god, I would have abs of steel if I lived with you. And so um I said, I think you should start your own podcast called shit terry says and what i wanted you to do is just have a jar maybe carolyn could write the random things just a jar of strips of paper of like random things and then every episode you would just reach in and pull something out and you would just tell stories about that because i bet you would have them so i i have them right here those are my little strips of paper that i wrote ahead of time so instead of the not so speedy speed round we're doing shit terry says ready all right it's a lot of pressure um but you know you don't have to elaborate you don't have to like and if you can say pass how about that i have a lot here okay but i don't think you're gonna pass on many okay you ready i'm ready and bar patrons oh there's too many stories there did i tell you about i'll talk about the uptown because most of those people are dead (laughs) um The regulars there, um, man, there's this group of older guys, and they were all just characters out of a movie. One of them, there was Buddy, was this guy, and there was a movie theater next door called The Suburban World. What do you do? He'd come in and get drunk in the afternoon at the bar, and he'd go next door to see a movie, and he'd always pass out in the movie theater. And his teeth would fall out. And so the next day, the kids from the movie theater would come over with the paper bag, and we called it a buddy bag. Oh, my God. And he'd come, and he'd be like, here's your buddy bag. And it was a 
bag of teeth, and then he'd come in later. Guys, got my teeth. <laughs> like, yeah, we'd give him his teeth, and the cycle'd start over. That's funny. I think he was living in his car in the parking lot for a while until somebody caught him sleeping. Oh my gosh! Station wagon. Just yeah, it was shit like that. There has has Buddy I, gone on to a better place now? I don't know. I, yeah, I, you would think so. I imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was. Um, there was Gordy. Was he was a little old guy. He had the most hilarious stories. He was like. He had a girlfriend at the bar, and then he had his wife at home or whatever. He was old school. And all those guys like to drink Christian Brothers brandy, and they called it holy water. And they're like, give me another holy water. <laughs> and uh, he had his whole family over if it was Easter weekend, and his wife wouldn't allow him to drink at home. So he'd snuck in a bottle of holy water. And he was pouring it in. He'd empty out a can of Coke and pour it, fill it with holy water. Oh my God. And he was like hanging out with the family and his grandkids are running around crazy. And one of the grandkids is all tired from running around, grabs his can of holy water that he thinks is Coke oh. and just goes top to bottom on it. And then as Gordy told the story, he's like, no, I didn't want to get in trouble. So I was like, let's see how this plays out. <laughs> and I was just like, dude, <laughs> the kid just drank 12 ounces of brandy. How do you think it's going to play out? And he like ran around the couch a couple times and just went face first into the coffee table. They had to call the ambulance to get his stomach pumped. Oh, my God. Happy Easter, Gordy. Yeah, then there was Rocky. Oh, my God. You could name uh, all of your dogs. Buddy, Gordy, and Rocky. Yeah, Rocky, he had a Polaroid camera, and he'd take pictures of girls that he thought were pretty and put them on the back of his leather jacket. What? Um, (laughs) And he got thrown out once or twice for, like, masturbating under the bar. He was, like, weird, (laughs) weird dude. But then he had turned out he had dementia, and you'd have to walk him home because he only lived around the corner and just deposit him. And finally, his kids put him in the VA home, and he would call the bar. And you're like, how about you send a six-pack up for Rocky? They won't let me have anything up here. And we're like, sorry, Rocky, you're not our problem anymore. Oh. But those were the types of people. And now, did this influence your artwork? Like, how could oh, you, yeah. you need to do it now that you, you're a sewing machine. Oh, get it? Sewing machine. You need to do a jacket with pretty girls on the back. Oh, hell no. <laughs> I'm not get in trouble with that. Um, actually, oh. I did a piece about all those old guys um, a million years ago. And it was like an elephant with teeth and cherries and olives floating around it was like an elephant graveyard kind of thing anyway the people that bought that piece bought a house a few blocks away from us and i see it all the time wow that's crazy yeah i'm like that looks really familiar i'm like oh that's that drawing i did of all the drunks that i used to work with and i wonder if they have any idea that that is what it's about oh they totally know oh do they okay they think it's great they love it (laughs) see again both of these things I said, and you're like, oh, no, there's two. I, I can't think of anything. And then we get Rocky. and I could, Well, the bar thing, I mean, that's, I could tell you stories all day about the crazy people that I I've know. Met. You, that's, that's, you've got some stories about that because, well, I mean, they're also in an environment where. My favorite um, kicking a kid. Well, did I tell you the fingers story? <laughs> I don't believe so. This is, all right, this is the best uptown story of all. Okay. And, Everybody that knows me is sick of hearing this story, but it's fucking hilarious. Okay. So it was a Sunday night. I wasn't there. Um, my friend Bob Flom was bartending, and we didn't have any security because there wasn't a band that night. And there was this guy came in. He was all messed out, causing problems. So Bob had to physically throw him out of the bar. And there was like a little um, vestibule that you walk through a door, and then you walk through a door. When you came in and the kid, he threw him out. He turned around and the kid tried to rush him and come back in. So Bob pushed the guy out the door and then he pulled the door shut as hard as he could. Oh, no. the shut So that I didn't come in. But the guy got his hand in the door jam and took his middle finger up from the middle knuckle. <laughs> like then, off? Yeah, it, it cut it off. And then oh, it was like laying there in the foyer. And the guy was, like, had no idea because he was just, like, gone and was, like, rubbing blood all over the windows and just being totally bonkers. So I come in the next morning to open the bar, and I go to unlock the front door, 
and there's a finger laying on the ground. I was like, what the fuck? I'm like, I'm not touching that. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, gross. And then coworkers started coming in, and we all commented on the finger. And the thing that everybody said was like, well, I'm not touching it. So the finger just like laid there most of the day. And then the owner came in, Ken Soonan, who was a complete asshole. Douchebag. The guy walked around with a briefcase full of cool cigarettes and Baileys. That that was his business, was drinking and smoking. He, like, comes in, looks around like an asshole, and just goes down to his office. And a half hour later, he calls up on the intercom. He's like, hey, I heard there's a finger up there laying on the ground. And I'm like, yeah. He's like, I want it. And I'm like, I'm not touching. He's like, tell the busboy to bring it down. And I'm like, all right. Like, BJ, Kenny wants the finger. You got to take it downstairs. <laughs> He's like, man. So we wrap, he wraps the finger in a napkin. We take it down to the office. And Kenny's like, you got that finger. We're like, yeah, we got the finger. And he pulls, he's got a baby food jar. I don't know where he gets this from. And he puts the finger in the baby food jar and he screws the, the, the lid back on it. And he holds it up to my face. He's like, Next motherfucker that tries to write a bad check at the Uptown Bar, you show him this finger. So this is what happens to people that steal from Ken Tunin. I'm like, you are such a douchebag. But anyway, so when the bar closed, that was the way everybody was stealing things right and left. Because um, it was like in a, a neighborhood fixture forever. People were like coming in off the street, like stealing bars, right, grab a bar stool and run out the door. All I wanted was that fucking finger. <laughs> Did you take it? Somebody else got it before I could. Oh, Um, God. You know what? If I can't have the finger, then I don't want anything. (laughs) Yeah, you have have standards. Yeah, and the thing I was always wondering was, like, why didn't the guy come back looking for the finger? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. But he never came back, so. Maybe he didn't know where he lost it. Uh Uh-huh. But, yeah, that was, like, typical (laughs) shit that used to happen there. It was a really fun place to work. Isn't Uptown, wasn't that where Prince first played or something? Wasn't no, first, first Avenue was oh, okay. Purple Rain and stuff. The Uptown was more, um, I don't know. Like, I used to see John Spencer, Blues Explosion, and Jesus Lizard, and, like, more hard rock. Oh, okay, okay. People who were willing to lose a finger or two. Yeah, totally. Um, oh, my God. A lot of local bands and stuff like that, too. It was a good place to see shows um, for a long time. Now it's an Apple store. Oh. Yeah. I like That's... to go in there once in a while and order a shot of Jägermeister. <laughs> see what the kids at the Genius Bar do. Go in and ask for a little holy water, see what happens. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Holy is water. it the same? Is it the same building, or did they completely tear it down and rebuild no, they it? they tore it down. Oh. The, what happened was the owner died. His, his... All right, so Ken Tunin's dad, Frank, used to own it um, during the 50s and 60s. He sold it mid-70s, I think. And then bought it back in the early 90s when his son Kenny got out of rehab. He wanted to have something for his kid to do. Sure, out of rehab, having a bar is a good idea. Yeah, so he bought it for him. And when Kenny died, and so then Frank hung on to it for a couple more years. But when he died, the family didn't want to run a bar, especially that bar. And, (laughs) you know, the real estate was worth too much money, so they cashed in. Wow. Yeah. Well, at least... At least you've got the stories, and now some of them are even documented here. I know, right? Oh, my God, my eyes are watering. I was laughing so hard. Plenty of people have plenty of stories about that joint. And, you know, shit happens at any bar. Yeah. You know, alcohol and idiocy are always formula for good stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I even worked in a bar for a really short time. I mean, for one summer, and there were stories. So I can't imagine when, yeah. Um, Okay. I've had you on here for an hour. You've got quilts to make. I could keep going. I've got more. I, well, you know what? I want to throw this one out because this is what I was uh-huh. joking about at um, um, at our dinner date. Pickles. I, I was joking that even if you pulled out like something like pickles, you'd probably have a story. Do you have any story about pickles? Well, I had a neighbor named Pickles. <laughs> <laughs> See? Oh, my God. Did you Who really? Yeah, he was awesome. <laughs> He was this, like, total, um, oh my God. I don't know, like, he was a dark dude. He was rehabbing the duplex next door to the duplex that Carolyn and I were living before we bought our house. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was, like, this, like, I wouldn't really call him goth. I'd call him more, like, hardcore dude. 
And he was, like, showing me the bullet holes in his back one day. Oh, my God. Anyway, he wasn't using his front door. He was using his front porch for storage while he was doing construction in the house. And the neighborhood was kind of sketch. Anyway, I was walking my dog one day, and I was just happened to be looking at his front porch. And I saw this lady taking a shit on his front porch, and it looked like <laughs> she was like a crackhead that was living on his porch. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, i got to remember to call Pickles and tell him there's a lady living on his porch. <laughs> And like, did you, where did you forget? No, I told, I called him. I'm like, Pickles, you got a lady living on your porch. He's like, God damn it. And I thought the thing that made it really funny was because the neighborhood was called Whittier. And the Neighborhood Association had a campaign called Make Whittier Prettier. <sighs> and they had been calling the city inspectors on him all the time for having all that junk on his front porch. So he put a toilet in his front yard with a sign that said, Make Whittier Shittier. I was like, that's so perfect that she's shitting on his house. <laughs> so that's my pickle story. And I also knew a guy that worked at the Gedney Pickle Factory um, that I worked with. <laughs> he worked there when he was in high school, and apparently they used to pick in the piss in the big pickle vats all the time. Oh. And somebody was peeing in the pickle vats. And you know that thing where if somebody's standing with, like, their knees locked, if you go up behind them and, like, bump the back of their knee with your knees uh-huh. Somebody was peeing in the pickle vat, and Jason went up and popped their knees, and the kid fell in the pickle, pickle vat that he was peeing. Those are my pickle stories. Okay, this has thoroughly and proven my point. Why I will never eat kidney pickles. If <laughs> well, I shouldn't say that, because I could get sued. Right. I, that's what Jason Laxon told me, so what the fuck ever. It's a third-hand story. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. <clears throat> Will you please start a podcast? After I'm done quilting. Okay. And building and drawing. Okay. If I have some time, maybe I'll. Okay. Do it when you're like 70. <laughs> Could you maybe imagine? I, I don't know what I'm going to do with oh, all these. Yeah, because you have such funny parent stories too. I want to know what your parents think about the quilts. Do they know? Yeah, my mom. I talked to her a couple weeks ago. She's not up on the social media. So no. she only sees what my dad shows her, and he's busy doing his old guy memes on Facebook. But um, he showed her a picture of a quilt, so she wanted me to eat. She just thinks it's neat. Yeah, I that's bet. so neat. I, oh, quilts, Terry. Oh, that's so, so does nice. She, does she want one for Christmas now? I don't think so. She, you know, she appreciates what I do. She doesn't like it. Actual artwork. She doesn't want a satanic quilt for her guest room. Like years and years, she was trying to get me. Why don't you just make me a picture of some sailboat, like some nice sailboat, and like in a bay. Like, mom, you can go to like an art fair and buy that shit. And so, oh my gosh, I asked me to do like a commission for her dining room when they retired and moved to South Carolina. She was like, yeah, I want you to do a drawing. I want it to be in my dining room so everybody can see it. And then she started sending me these fabric samples and stuff like that. And I was just like, what the fuck do you think that I do? I'm like, (laughs) I don't know. And now there's always stories. Every time they have a dinner party, it's like some old person thinks they see something in the picture. And it's like, I saw bats. Like, what the fuck? (laughs) And then they got to tell me these stories about it. So, no, they're not getting a quilt. Um, what was I just going to say? Oh, yeah, yeah. I did a piece a while ago um, that said uh, seascapes sell like hotcakes. Uh-huh. And it sold like in 15 minutes after. I'm sure it did. Yeah. I was like, wow, it actually worked. Animals, dogs, yeah. cats. Yeah. People love that shit. <laughs> you had a dog on a boat? Oh, like, yeah. Like with Jesus? Boom. Wow. Million dollars. There's your next quilt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I want. That's what I want to wrap myself in. A Terrence uh-huh. Payne original, dog on boat with Jesus. Well, you know, I'm going to put them up um, on my gallery, on my website, see if they sell there too. So okay, buy one off of there. Okay, I think that I might have to do that because that, I mean, first of all, literally, it's going to be a piece of art history. Mm-hmm. I really think it is, I think it is amazing that you're doing quilts. Like, I love that you, that you are 
prolific enough to be able to do all these different things. And I love that, you know, you brought a choreographer in to like react to the pieces that you guys had done and this house idea, now quilts. And like, that's what a real artist is. And I love that. But I also really love the whole, I I've always been fascinated with that whole line between art and craft. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I've always talked to female artists about it. And so I just think it's so cool that you're like, who cares? And that the lady at the fabric store is kind of scared of you now. Yeah. Well, it makes me so happy. That was inevitable. I mean, it's, <laughs> I, I wonder what would have happened if, like, I started out doing quilts and I didn't have, like, this history of making art, you know, going yeah. into making quilts. You know, I think that's part of the equation. So maybe I get a pass. Yeah. Well, you know, and the thing is, yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, but I think it's so, like, I've had quite a few women on the podcast who embroider or whatever and they always say like I don't consider it craft like I just paint with thread like I just instead of picking up you know a brush with paint on it I pick up a thread with needle and you know and it's the same sort of thing right yeah, it's just I've like seen... a different medium but it's your work and it's your ideas and you're just using fabric instead of paper you know I've seen some amazing artwork that's done through mediums that are home furnishings like embroidery there's a couple of really good artists here in Minneapolis. I'm totally blanking on their names right now. I'll think of them as soon as we're done talking. <laughs> um, but also, like, you know, plates. And they yeah. had at the at Carolyn's Gallery at the Sioux Visual Arts Center, they have a holiday shop every year. And the year before last, um, one of the artists was making these, uh, these, like, fancy china dinner plates, like, with gold like penises on them that were the most amazing thing and i'm like oh i gotta get one of these for my brothers so fucking hate them <laughs> i'm pretty sure they're not displayed in their homes they're in a closet somewhere did you really get it for them fuck yeah i did oh yeah. that's awesome that is um, so funny but yeah just like you can because um you catch people off guard you know like something like that is just like oh cool it's like a china pattern what what the fuck yeah that's what i you love know? i love that when you take these traditional things but you give it like this modern you know or like yeah you're telling some crazy story but in these traditional ways there's a another woman i interviewed um tanya corky she's canadian she uses dryer lint Mm -hmm. she does these really cool portraits with dryer lint and it's just the, the weirdest thing and um i love it when people find these weird things and just do their do their thing it's like people have a preconceived like idea of how to look at art yeah and when you t when you take that away from them by changing the medium of what they as have assumptions of what fine art is then you're actually like forcing them to think about what they're looking at rather than just like glazing over it yeah in the context of like what they've been told about what art is you know right. especially when you're talking to an audience that isn't um as educated about art and things like that you know rather they they know like soup cans from Andy Warhol or right. like Jasper Johns and that's about it because they saw some shit on like people magazine or whatever yeah. <laughs> i know oh see now this is i was just saying to my husband before i came on the call i was so looking forward to this and i said what i love especially after listening to your other episode uh -huh. that you are such a dichotomy like you are your artwork is you're so thoughtful about it and you're so well spoken about it and then you can tell me stories about pickles and it's just like yeah oh my god it's just and greg said that's what makes you art people so awesome is that, you know, you, you know, I'm sort of the same way where I've got the one side that's sort of goofy and weird and whatever, but then I've got this thoughtful side about why I make the art that I make. And so anyway, I just, this was exactly what I wanted it to be. And when you're done the quilts and all that stuff, please, please do a podcast. Yeah, for sure. We'll get it done. I don't yeah. know when. Probably. Call me in like 20 years. Podcasts won't even be a thing by then. Like who knows what we'll be able to do. I just can't imagine anybody want to listen to my dumb stories. Oh my but. god, I would listen to them all day. I had so much fun at that dinner. I don't like, you know, and I'm I'm quite a chatty Kathy. I don't think I said anything. I just sat there and laughed and ate really delicious fries with smoked salt on them. If ever I quit bartending, I'll I'll start the podcast cuz right now I've got a live audience that Yeah, wow. true laughs at my bullshit as long as I keep pouring them drinks so <laughs> and I, I only had coffee too and I was laughing hysterically imagine if there'd been anything interesting in my coffee yeah a little holy water in there definitely not pickle juice 
Definitely not pickle juice now that I know. Oh my God. Okay, we'll go make five more quilts. And um, I will. I'm going to try. And I'm going to do a great big post and put all this stuff on there. And uh, oh my gosh, good luck. Let me know when they are online for sale because I want to swoop in. I will. I'll send you all the links to the things I was talking about once I get better pictures of the quilts and oh, things. Okay, that would be awesome. I'll thank send it all you. to your post. Okay, yeah, thanks thank so much you. for having me on again. Of course. Fun. And tell Carolyn I say hi, and I'll uh, talk to you soon. I definitely will. Thanks, Anna. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. Do you see what I'm talking about? Who has stories like that? Who? And like I said near the end, isn't it amazing to hear him talk so thoughtfully about art, his practice, other artists, the gallery world, and then to hear stories about Buddy, Gordy, and Rocky? Oh, my word. <sighs> okay, on that note, I am going to say a huge thanks to Terrence for being such a good sport and not censoring himself at all. Thank you to Saatchi Art for supporting this episode, and big thanks to you for listening. There will be more art for your ear next weekend. See you then.